Count those many blessings. Let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand, make sure they're not a Patriots fan, and welcome them to our service this morning.
Isn't it great to fellowship together? If you could find your seats, we're going to continue with our service this morning. Um, one last announcement to share with you. One last announcement to share with you. Um, before Leonard comes up to lead us in, great is thy faithfulness. I wanted to say thank you on behalf of all of our students in our student ministry for all who came out or helped last night with the spaghetti dinner. It was a great, great time. Thank you to the ladies who helped plan it all back there. Um, man, it, was, it definitely was a great time. Over, it was $975 was donated last, and a quarter. $975 and a quarter were donated last night. So praise the Lord for that. We are thankful, so thankful to each and every one of you for that. So now if Leonard's going to come and lead us in hymn number 37, Great is Thy Faithful.
Well, it's always a privilege to have with us uh, one of the Gideons. Well, we have several Gideons actually with us each week. Uh, there's a number of the men here in the church that uh, serve as Gideons, and we appreciate that so much. But we invite once a year someone to come and give us an update, give us a report, and uh, share testimonies of the way God is working through the Gideons. And so we have a fellow this morning we've invited, uh, Clark Camp. Uh, he's going to come and share, I believe, quite a number of testimonies of how God works through these men uh, to reach boys and girls, men and women, grandmas and grandpas, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Clark, come and share with us, if you would, please. Good morning. Great to be with you. I got high with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's a testimony of a, he was a young fellow when I was a young fellow in the 60s. Uh, he was in the South, he was a drug dealer. He got, thought he'd never get caught as many of them do and it's only gotten worse until today. But this young man was in prison. He said he got caught and they put him in prison and he was there one day and uh, the guard came by and he said, if you want to see a Gideon, you go down to the cafeteria. And he said, I didn't know what a Gideon was. I didn't know a clown or a dog show. But if it got me out of my cell, I'd go down. And he got down there and there was an older gentleman. I guess you'd call me one of them. He was handing out these little brown testaments, a little brown book. And he said, I, I looked at it and I opened the pages and real thin. He thought I could use that to roll my smokes. Because in the south, they go out and gather garbage along the road. And while they do that, they also, he said, while he was doing that, he picked some periwinkle flowers and stuffed them in his uniform and dried them. And he actually got high with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he said, I got to John. And he said, something told me to read it. And then he said, John smoked me. Because as you know, in John, in, in the Bible, in Genesis, it starts out in the beginning. Well, John starts out the same way. And I tell everybody to hand one to. I still do that today. Please read John, most important, and it'll get you to Christ in a hurry because in 14 verses you find out who the in the beginning was because it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and by him and through him all things were created that were created and without him nothing was created and it says he has the light and the life of men. And then it gets to verse 6, and that's going to be my challenge to you this morning because I know they have a little white church out there with Gideons on it. My challenge to you today is, in verse 6, he talks about John the Baptist. He came as a witness for Christ, and he said, Behold the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. That man is still alive. He's alive in here. The Bible tells me that. He's alive. He's doing the same work. But he needs us as to be witnesses to the lost and dying. I'm not going to give you many numbers, but I know there's 7.6 billion people in the world. And a lot of them don't have Christ. And they need the word. And the other God thing I'm going to tell you this morning then is how God has used it to, to lower the price of it as we give it. So on your way out today, if you would kindly put some, something in that box... Two years ago, these Bibles that we handed out cost $1.31. I just want to give you a God moment, not a lot of figures. Then they got them down, they put in new printing presses in Philly. We got them down to a dollar and a quarter. 
this last year they started printing them in different countries and we got them down to under a dollar 20. So that's a God moment because I fill my gas tank to drive down here and I know it went up and set it down. So God knows what he's doing. 11 cents a copy. That doesn't mean we have money in the bank. That means we need, can buy more Bibles. And there's millions, there's stacks of, of countries that need the scripture. And as we were talking this morning about clothing that people need and different things, but they need the word. They need the word. They need salvation. They need Christ. More than anything else in this world, they need Christ. This young man found it. You know what he did when he got out of prison? He went to seminary and became a Southern Baptist preacher. And I met him at Reading at the state convention. I told him I don't hold that against him being a Southern Baptist. But he, he, he's a, a powerful man, and I don't know how many lives he touched. There are so many testimonies. The pastor gave me 10 minutes, or like an hour, but I'm going I'm to try and stay under the 10-minute time zone here. But these are testimonies that, that God has laid upon my heart, and people have met. And I got a real quick one. The first Gulf War, my wife's with me this morning. She's part of the auxiliary, and I think there's another couple other auxiliary members here. They're the ladies of the Gideons. And the old saying used to be, the women on their knees keep the men on their feet. And we have been out distributing. I've been in New York City to show you that little scripture. I've been in New York City four times to hand out scriptures. I've never been out of the country to do it. We go to different countries, and I have buddies that went different places. But to me, New York City is a foreign country. So I got to, I got to be blessed there. I met all kinds of people from all over. And, and the, the saying is still true. The best view of Manhattan is in the rearview mirror. I've been there. I've been there with a full-size van and 3,600 Bibles in the back. And believe me, I was ready to leave at the end of the day. But we, we did some real good work there. So God, God works. But this little white testament, a young girl in California was a nurse after the first Gulf War. And there was a young man in there with an arm and a leg missing. And he was waiting to go home. He was waiting on a priest, actually, he said. But he'd seen this young girl, and he said, and in Sunday school this morning, we talked about it. They'll know we're different by the love we show. We sing that song. They'll know we're Christian by our love. But this young lady, he, came, he said to her, he said, there's something different about you. And she had carried this in her work uniform for six years from the time she graduated. She carried this little testament. And she got it out and went to the back to the plan of salvation. That's the only thing different about our testaments than anybody else's. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no one in here is better than anybody else. We all need Christ. We all need a Savior. We're all sinners. Bible tells us that. And she went over that, and there's a sinner's prayer in there that he prayed and accepted Christ into his life when he left the hospital. So it took six years of that lady carrying it around. It took somebody to give the money and some Gideon to put it in her hand, her auxiliary member. But God does the work. God does the saving. We don't do it. And uh, real quickly, I want to end with this testimony right here. I was out in Hollidaysburg last fall, I guess it was, and I did a presentation on a Saturday night and two Sunday morning. Big church. Big church. But this young person, I call her young because she's middle-aged now, but she came up and got me by the arm. She said, before you leave, I want to tell you something. And she took me to the side and she said, I stole one of your Bibles. I took one of your Bibles. And we've heard that before. But we're the only organization in the, in the world that allows that. We, we don't call it stealing. We put them there for people to take if they need them. If they don't take them, 
They can reach maybe 2,300 people that'll read them there. But if they take them home, she said, I took it. She was 19 years old. She was there on a good Friday, Easter weekend, contemplating suicide. And she pulled out the door and she seen Holy Bible. Now, some people call this a Gideon Bible. It's not, it's a Holy Bible. It's placed by the Gideons. But when she first seen that, she seen Holy Bible. But it enticed her to read it. And she said, I took it home and it took me two years. But in two years, she found Christ in there. And when I was there, she was there Saturday night. She taught Sunday school Sunday morning, and she's there. She's very active in the church, and she has teenage daughters who said they were glad that the Gideons came and told her it wasn't stealing. So, but that's, you, we just don't know. For $5, one of these books can be put in a drawer for someone to take home. We talk about giving them coats and gloves, and, and that's wonderful. They need it. They need food, but they need this word because eternity is a long time. This life is short. <laughs> I know, I've, I've lived it, and I'm getting towards the end. I know I'm, and there's a song that the lady sang from Ohio that, that I love to tell you. I'm closer to where I'm gone and farther than, and far from where I came to turn back now. So I'm not giving up. I believe Christ is the answer, and I tell everybody that, that I have an opportunity. There's a card display out there. Two of these Gideons in this camp are doing a great job. They got them out there. I'm not going to dwell on them, but they're a great way to put a Bible somewhere to help someone else. The other thing that's out there is an app. And today, young people, they don't pick up a book. They pick up a phone. But this little app is very easy to put in your phone, and, and God will bless you. And I'm surprised how many third world countries have cell phones, but they don't have a Bible. So if we can get them to to put it on there, it's a great way. So I, I thank you for having me this morning. I pray that uh, we will be witnesses. As John the Baptist was for his first coming, we need to be witnesses for his second. I believe he's coming soon. I heard a song on the way down this morning. I have XM radio. That's the other great thing about new cars with better radios. But I have a 2015 track that I have 68,000 miles on already because I love doing this work. But you cannot give God. I'll tell you that before you leave this morning. You just cannot give him. You can try it someday, but you can't. You will not give God. So stay on the good side of him. As the Sunday school teacher said, we're here to do good works. Not because we do it to get saved. We do it because we are saved. And there's only one greater thing than going to heaven. And that's take someone with you. God bless. Thank you so much, and uh, please take advantage of the white church. Uh, if you care to give to the Gideons, uh, put your monies out there, and we'll see that they, uh, they get that. Now, Father, as we come before you, we are thankful. We're thankful, Lord, for the power of the gospel. We're thankful, Lord, that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. We're thankful also, Lord, that we who have trusted Christ, we now are your ambassadors. We are your representatives. We are those who you have called to be on a mission, the mission, Lord, of reaching others. Uh, Father, so that we can take those with us to heaven. So we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the Gideons and for the work that it, it, it continues to do for the many, many who have um, come under the sound of the gospel, who have read through uh, the scriptures. Father, we thank you for the work they do. 
in reaching unsaved people with the gospel. Continue to use them, use our brother as he goes to various churches to share his uh, stories. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bring many uh, to a saving knowledge of yourself through the work of this wonderful, through the work of this uh, wonderful organization, the Gideons. Father, we thank you for our time that you've given us this morning. Lord, again, what a blessing it is to be able to come together as your body, as the bride of Christ. Father, to be able to come together and share fellowship, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, to be able to pray together. Father, to be able to be together. This is a wonderful time, and we thank you for it. Father, continue to use this time to bring honor and glory to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We continue to worship the Lord this morning. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord.
continuing to read through the New Testament. Uh, I know I've been um, blessed as, as I continue to read through it. Um, I actually uh, based this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. 
Uh, we started in Matthew, of course, being the first book of the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have what is called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus took his disciples and some people there by the mountainside and taught them. And thus, it is the sermon that he gave on the mountain. Have you ever read the words of Jesus and you said to yourself, did you really say that? Did you really mean that? Can I really do that? When I came to Matthew chapter 5, I kept saying to myself, come on, Lord, lighten up. For Jesus said things like this, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to the other side. Love your enemies. Don't worry. Come on, Lord. <laughs> Pray for those who persecute you. Don't be angry with your brother. Don't you come to the end of those and say, Jesus, I mean, really? You know, the NIV Study Bible has a quote, and I, I quote this, a footnote. The Sermon on the Mount is a call to moral and ethical living, and it's so high that some have dismissed it as being completely unrealistic. Are you really saying, Jesus, what I thought you just said? Well, he did, and we can, but only in the power of God's Spirit. So today I want to talk about anger, something that we've all experienced. John tells us if you say you have not sinned, you deceive yourself. I think we could probably say the same for anger. If you say that you have never experienced anger, you're deceiving yourself. So this is one of those topics that we all can Now, it says in Matthew chapter 5, he gives us this little phrase that Jesus uses six times. And we have to kind of understand it before we look at anger. Because six times in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said long ago, but I tell you. Six times through Matthew chapter 5, he uses that phrase. And so to, in order to understand this phrase, which then helps us to understand what he says when he says, don't be angry, we want to look at verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5. Context is always important, you know that. And so we come to verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5. And this is what Jesus says. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness 
exceeds, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who were these men? Well, the Pharisees, actually the name means separatists. They were the ones who were set apart. They actually drew up additional laws and regulations in addition to the law itself. The scribes or the teachers of the law, they were the ones who expounded God's law. They stood before the people and expounded the law to them. The people, the common folks, they looked at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as holy, as outstanding men. They looked up to them who kept the law. They felt we could never, ever be like them. We could never keep the law as the Pharisees keep the law, as the scribes keep the law. There's no hope for us to be as good as they are. They have set this bar far too high. And so when Jesus comes along and says to those on the mountainside, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The people had to be thinking, there's no way. That is so unrealistic, Jesus. That is so impossible. That's not even doable for us. To be not only as good as, to be, but to surpass their righteousness? Have you ever been struck as you read through the Gospels how much space Jesus gives to the Pharisees? He refers to them, he, he deals with them, he criticizes them, but did you ever notice the space? If you're reading through the New Testament, you had to say to yourself, why does he keep talking about these guys? And it wasn't just because they were critical of Jesus, and they were. But because the people in that day, they depended upon the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for information. They didn't have the scriptures like we do. They couldn't read through the New Testament as we are doing. Who had the scriptures? Who had the law? It was the teachers. It was the scribes. And so the people, they were dependent upon these teachers for information. And what Jesus has to do is make sure that the common folk know the hollowness and shallowness of their teachings. That these Pharisees and these scribes and these teachers of the law, they aren't what they claim to be. Oh, they may look good on the outside, and they were, but inside, there was corruption. That's why Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees and you scribes. On the outside, you look like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but inside, you're full of dead men's bones. 
So when Jesus says to the people, your righteousness must surpass and exceed that of the Pharisees, it's not an outward righteousness. The Pharisees, they have that mastered. Jesus had to be speaking of an inward righteousness, of a pure heart. You do know that God is more interested in your heart than what you do. God is more concerned about your motives and your thoughts and your intentions than the way you behave. Oh, he wants you to behave right. He wants you to be outwardly righteous. He wants you to be seen as holy. Yes, that's true. But God looks more on the heart than he does on the outward appearance. And so what Jesus is saying to the people is you need a heart that is right, God. You need an inward righteousness. These Pharisees were legalists. It was all on the outside. It was all external. Look at me. Look how good I am. It was a self-righteousness. Now, they did look good on the outside, and they wanted everyone to know that. But Jesus is concerned here with the heart. You've heard of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? The letter of the law is what? The letter of the law is the literal interpretation of the law. The spirit of the law goes beyond that. What was the intent of the law? And so when Jesus says, don't kill, the Pharisees said, look at us. We have never taken a person's life. Now that's good. That's the letter of the law. What Jesus does here in this chapter, he begins to speak about the spirit of the law. That when the Bible says don't murder, that's the letter. But the spirit of the law says don't even become angry with your brother. And don't even use hateful speech against your brother. So when Jesus says you've heard it said long ago, he's speaking of the letter of the law. Don't murder. But let me explain to you the spirit of the law. Don't even be angry. Or don't use language that is abusive. Do you see the difference? So now we come to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. Listen to what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. Remember, what did, who did the people hear this from? The teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees. They, didn't, they couldn't go to the scriptures and read it for themselves. So you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. There's the letter of the law. Jesus now says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, 
and we'll try to unpack that uh, word, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You've heard the letter of the law. Let me explain the spirit of the law. Jesus wants to encourage these people to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees by looking beyond the letter and looking at the spirit. You know, Paul says it's the letter that, letter that kills, but it's the spirit that gives life. What matters to God is what's inside. What's on the inside? How is your heart this morning? You know, there's a story back in 1 Samuel where um, God called Samuel to go and choose another king. And Samuel went to the sons of Jesse and he starts to look at this one who's handsome and that one who's tall. And what does God say to Samuel? Listen, I don't look at the outward appearance. That's not what we're looking for right now. I look at the heart. And that's what God is looking for in us. He's looking for a heart of righteousness, an inward purity. The Pharisees, they thought they were in good shape if they didn't kill anyone. They didn't care too much about hating other people. They didn't care too much about talking about people or slandering others or gossiping and all. All they thought was, if I don't kill, I'm in good shape. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Do not murder goes beyond the letter of the law. So he says, don't be angry. That's part of the spirit of the law. Don't don't, don't be angry with your brother or sister. Now, we know that there's some anger that is okay. You've heard of righteous indignation, right? If you see someone being bullied, or you hear of those in a third world country starving to death, or you see unborn babies being aborted, It's right to be angry over those things. But there's also a not-so-righteous indignation. When we, we become angry because of circumstances that maybe we can't control, we look at others as better off than us. They have a new car parked in their driveway, and we get a little bit angry and bitter toward that. Or we get angry when our comfort is disturbed. We get a text at 2.30 in the morning. Or we're angry when our plans change. You've planned vacation for six months and you get to the week of vacation that you've been looking forward to and the weather is terrible. Sometimes we get angry even at God. Sometimes there's categories of people we get angry with. Teachers and politicians and Maybe even pastors at times. We get angry when our pride is hurt. Your macaroni and cheese wasn't as good as hers at the potluck. It's sort of a silent anger. We stew on the inside. Maybe it doesn't come out, but we just, we stew. And we get hot. 
And Jesus said, you shouldn't be angry with your brother or your sister. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, don't even call them names. This word raka, have you ever been called a moron or an idiot? Anybody ever call you that? That's raka. Raka means empty or empty-headed. Don't even call your brother or sister an idiot or a moron. I've been using a commentary, Arthur Pink, and this is what he says. All abusive language, all abusive language is forbidden by the sixth commandment. Do not murder. That's the spirit of the law. Abusive language. All abusive language is forbidden under the sixth commandment. Contemptible speech, slander, gossip, hateful speech. Are you a gossiper? You love to sit down and talk about other people? You like to slander others and put them down in front of others? All of these things are under the sixth, do not murder. That's the letter. The spirit of the law says don't even gossip. Don't slander. Don't call someone an idiot or a moron. Raka. You see, some of us are like the Pharisees. I've never killed anyone. But we don't see what is included under that commandment. We don't see the spirit, the intention of that law. There's a story in the Old Testament of a a young teenager, Ishmael. Uh, he was the son of Hagar, who was, uh, the, um, who gave, uh, who was given birth by Hagar uh, and Abraham. And um, he was the son of, of Hagar. But later, then Abraham had uh, a son with Sarah, his wife, and she gave birth to a young fellow named Isaac. So Ishmael was a teenager. Isaac's just a little guy. And the Bible says that back in, in Genesis, Ishmael mocked Isaac. He mocked Isaac. Now, we don't know all that is included in the word mocking, but some refer to it as jesting or making sport of, maybe bullying, maybe ridicule. But did you know in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, and verse 29, it refers to the mocking as persecution that Ishmael was persecuting his little stepbrother in words, in ridicule. Words hurt. Hateful words hurt. And Jesus says, don't even use them. But he doesn't stop there. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, then you're answerable to the court, to the council. But if you say you fool, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, we use you fool, and we don't see it as that bad of a word. But the word actually, if you look at the punishment, the punishment of hellfire, the word is much worse than raka. It is a settled, fixed hatred. 
for someone. It is to want that other person destroyed. It is to wish that that person didn't even exist. When you see that person, you can't stand the very sight of them. You don't really care whether they would ever live or die. You hope they fall on bad times. You know, usually, if you're reading a book or maybe a sermon on anger, you get to this point and uh, the author or the pastor will um, say something like this, and now I want to give you five easy steps to control your anger. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. I'm not sure there are five easy steps to control anger. But what is the issue? What are we talking about here? We're talking about a heart issue, right? We're talking about a heart issue. That's the real issue. It's not because of a person or circumstances that we are angry. There's something in our heart that's not right. Because out of the mouth, the heart, or out of the heart, the the speech flows. And so my challenge this morning is not do A, B, and C to control your anger. It's allow God to look deep into your soul and figure out what is in there that is causing me to talk about someone else. What is in there? that would ever cause me to be angry at a brother or a sister? What is in my heart that I would want to slander someone who I should love? I don't think there's easy steps. It's a heart issue. It's something inside. In Matthew chapter 12, I want to read a few verses Look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33. Again, these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers! <laughs> now, it's, these are the Pharisees, right? I mean, these are the, this is what Jesus calls you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You have a good tree and it bears good fruit. You have a bad tree, it bears bad fruit. A tree is recognized by the fruit it bears. The Pharisees were producing bad fruit, blasphemous speech in this context, and thus the illustration that Jesus uses. The problem with the Pharisees was not something external, it was something internal. The Pharisees had a heart issue. They were corrupt on the inside and therefore producing bad things. So I'm not going to give you steps A, B, and C. You know, most of us, I suppose, would be able to stand, I hope all of us, 
stand before God someday and say, I have never taken another person's life. But we give an account for the times we become angry at others. We will give an account for the times we call names of others. We will give an account for our speech when we slander others. Probably not many of us could say this morning, I, you know, I, I, just, I just don't get angry. No, I, I, I really, I do. I, I love everybody. I just love everybody. I never really become you know, angry or I never use that kind of language against anyone. Come on. <laughs> My word. If we, I mean, really, if we were to confess this sin of anger and angry speech... We should all be coming before God and saying, God, forgive me. Just this week, I, I mean, not me, but I mean, you're saying to yourself, <laughs> you know, just this week, I looked at him. I, oh, I saw, you know, what he, what he has in his garage, this new truck. We're all guilty. And so Jesus said to the people of his day, and by the way, you know, the word of God continues to live today. And so what Jesus says to them, he says to us, he says to us this morning, don't be angry. And I say, oh, come on, Lord. Don't even call someone an idiot. Don't even think that person's a complete moron. You never think that, right? But we do. The Bible says that's, that's just not right. You know, we sang the song. We, they, they know we're Christians by our love. We're to have this love for each other, not anger, not hatred. We're going to sing a closing song, and it's one of those hymns that we often call a prayer. You know, it's not just a hymn, um, but it's a prayer. And um, I believe it's fitting uh, that's why I chose it. But maybe this, if we're looking at the steps to control anger, maybe this is the first step. I don't want to call it necessarily a step. I think this is an overri overriding um, thing we all need to do. But maybe we just need to get alone with God and allow God to search us and look deep, deep, deep within our heart. What is in there? What really is, see, I, I look at you, all you guys, and you look so good. And you look at me, and you say, oh, man, doesn't he look good this morning? You know, I got my brown khakis, and got my tie, got my glasses. But you don't know what's going on in here, right? And I don't know what's going on in your heart. But you do, and God knows. That's why the song says, search me, God. You know, maybe we don't know, right? Maybe we think everything is going fine. But maybe just getting along with God, maybe God has some things he would like to reveal and share with you. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart today. God knows your heart better than you do. Try me and know my thoughts, I pray.
and see if there's some wicked way in me. And then the confession, cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Set me free. Hymn number 387. Let's stand together. We'll sing. We're only going to sing stanza one and three. Just stanza one and stanza three as we close this morning. And think of this as a prayer. This is your prayer to God. Maybe God's not going to reveal something to you this morning. Maybe sometime this week when you're alone with God, you're reading through the New Testament, maybe God will bring a few things up. <laughs> he, he may show you a few things that you need to deal with. Let's sing this together. Just stanza one and stanza three. Father, we thank you again for your word. Your word is powerful. Lord, sometimes we read it and we wonder, Lord, can I really live up to that standard? But in your power, the power of the Spirit of God who indwells us, Lord, we're able to do the impossible. Lord, help us in this area of anger, hateful speech, abusive speech, Lord, help us to be free of this horrible sin and give us that love for other people that you have shown to us. We thank you, Lord, for the words of Jesus. Lord, yes, spoken many, many, many years ago, but Father, your word is still alive today, still just as powerful. So continue to work. Continue to search our hearts. Reveal to us, Lord, those things that are just not right, that we need to make right. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who forgives our every sin. 
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.